that is the big star for most of these firms, getting that sales process locked in and being able to measure it. You can't do it unless you're entering the information in some kind of system. Love it. Make sure your software has an API and it's a SaaS-based system. That's a great hack. How about you, Sam? Anything that you hear throughout all the clients you talk to, that one little addition or piece of software, something that you use personally that's a great little biohack you can give advice for? Yeah, I would say in a more general sense, don't just buy software just to have it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Your Practice Mastered. I'm Richard James. I'm missing my counterpart, MPS, Michael Patrick Strauch, because he's off drinking some Guinness over in Dublin and hanging out in London for a vacation. And so hope you don't mind me all by my lonesome. I know he's the younger, prettier version in the smiley face on this whole thing. And he asks really good questions. So I do my best today to keep up with him. We've got a great call planned for you today. We're interviewing a company called Four Eyes. And one of the best parts about Four Eyes, full disclaimer, by the way, I'm a shareholder in this company. Uh, and you should know that because I've invested my own actual dollars in this firm because of the good that they do for law firms. But I really want, this is not a promotional call. This isn't me telling you about Four Eyes. So you go do business with Four Eyes. Maybe you'll find them interesting. Maybe you won't. What I want you to get out of this is some value. So I'm going to interview both technical director of Four Eyes and the marketing director of Four Eyes, and they're going to help us understand the journey and the path that they've gone through. But most importantly, we're going to try to pull some nuggets out of the call so that you can have something you can implement today in your law firm. And hopefully they'll give you some insight as to how their entrepreneurial journey was and how it passes over to your entrepreneurial journey as well. So Rusty, Sam, welcome to today's pod. Hey, happy to be here, Rich. This is awesome. I wish I was at uh, my a little bit more, but this is a good second place. I, would I say. get it. I'm second. I'm always runner up, but that's okay. That's okay. I'll take it. He's my kid, so he can have first place. Good to see you, Sam. You too. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So just, you know, to, to kick this off, tell everybody a little bit about this whole entrepreneurial journey of Four Eyes, how it got started. What did that look like? Why don't you give us some insight there? Yeah, I got to tell you, I, I didn't really start as an entrepreneur myself. I would say that was my co-founder, Bert Diener. He's a law firm owner. He was more the entrepreneur about seven years ago. We started this company, and over the last two years, I became the CEO. So software engineer turned entrepreneur a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've been working with Bert for about 20 years now. Started in 2003, back when I was in high school. Came off the mock trial team, you know. He liked something, I guess, and he gave me a chance. And, you know, ever since then, been working with him. So I know that you said that you weren't the entrepreneur, but you got to know that, and you've worked with enough attorneys to know this, that they can actually relate to that because most of them weren't entrepreneurs either. Many of them didn't actually know that they were going to have their own practice when they went into law. They might have thought they were going to work for a law firm forever. And then they saw, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel of being their own business. But yeah, I mean, you know, as the co-founder of this company, you had to have some sort of entrepreneurial spirit to be willing to take that leap, wouldn't you say? I would say so. Yeah. You know, and I was not expecting to do as much as I did, to be honest. But, you know, I've kind of grown into it, I think. I really enjoy talking to our, our clients. I really enjoy doing this stuff. Surprisingly enough for me, honestly, I thought I was going to be in a dark room, you know, just coding away all day. But here right. we are. So <laughs> I'm having a great time with it. Coding, Bert just slides some food under the door for That's you true. so you can eat every now and then. Got it. A bucket in food and 24 hours later, we've got a product. Awesome. 
So Sam, how about you? You really got your start in marketing and customer service and that's how you found your way into helping Rusty, is that right? Uh, yes, that's correct. I've been with Flores for about four years. So my background is originally in marketing, but as I'm, I talk to law firms and law firm owners all day, and it's kind of hard to stay in just marketing. So we end up talking about all kinds of aspects of the law firm as well. Well, that's why I really wanted you on the call, because while Rusty has seen the backside of this, and he has certainly had some customer-facing work, in the last number of years, I mean, your entire day has been spent in the trenches with the lawyers all day long, right? All day long, yes. <laughs> all day long. All right, good. And so you say that with some trepidation or some sorrow. No, I'm just kidding. I know you love all of your clients and you would never say anything bad about <laughs> talking to them all day long. That's all you want to is talk to lawyers all day long. So let's pivot into this next concept. So we love to talk about success and origin um, but well, before I go there, real quick, Rusty. So just to set the foundation, why did Bert found this company, this tech? You know, it's interesting, like where it started to where we are, right? Like, and I'm not even talking tech company. I'm talking law firm to tech company. Right. When he first started, you know, we were in a little place called Snow Hill, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. 1,500, 1,500 people live in this town. And I was from there, so it's yeah. <laughs> I have some nostalgia, but we were literally above a lingerie store. You had to go through this little door, go up some stairs above a lingerie store. And it was like a three room office. And really it was two rooms and a conference room we shared with somebody else. And I was in the break room with two other guys. One of them was my brother. One of them was a law clerk we had. And, you know, we still had fun. I mean, we were working on cases. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer back then. You guys worked way too hard. So, you know, I started quickly working on the tech stuff, but yeah, just where that went. I mean, now, you know, we're in multiple, or I say we, I mean, I still do a lot with it, but the law firm's in multiple states, you know, a lot of offices, you know, I think we went from that to about 10 million a year and we're going to keep going. So, you know, it's really exciting. So but yeah, the, from, from working from above a lingerie store to 10 million a year and all that journey has been really fueled by the technical growth. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely think so. I definitely really, really think that had a big part of it. And, you know, I'm a little biased, but I do think so. Yeah, no, I think having, I've always said like having a technical team on your team or having a partner that's a technical team is like having a magic wand at your disposal as a business owner. You're really, you can do amazing things with technology these days. And if you don't know how to do it, or you're the business owner and you're trying to do it yourself, it's chewing up a lot of time. And so having that person or that team that you can rely on to help you accomplish these goals, to me, it's a real competitive advantage. But so how did, what happened? What's the pivot from the law firm to the software then? Like, doc, walk me through that. Yeah. So again, I'm going to try to condense it a little bit, but we, you know, like a lot of people, we had practice management software. We had a CRM, mm -hmm. which we track our, you know, the people who contact us, maybe want to hire us. And there were some things there that we wanted to do, but couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And so we were crazy or I was crazy. And I was like, let's use this something called an open source mm -hmm. CRM, which means they give me the software, but I can do all kinds of stuff with it. Mm -hmm. And so when we did that, coincidentally, we started going to your events, Rich, mm. and, you know, you were giving us stuff like the 11 steps, the PCLC, you know, tracking the sales process. And we're like, okay, 
how can we get that stuff into here so we can look at it and see who's doing everything? And so we did. We started putting all those numbers together. And, you know, we started noticing some weaknesses. And, yeah, I mean, that was really the big thing. Sam, did you catch um, that? Rusty said it was all my fault. I did. Yes, yes. Totally. Yeah, basically, that's what happened there. So I get full responsibility (laughs) for this mess that we've created. Okay. Uh, If it's a success, Rusty, you get it. If it's a mess, I get it. How about that? But, yes, I love that. Okay. I love that. I think we'll keep that going. All right, good. Okay, good. So, by the way, I want to unpack something that you said. There were things that I wanted the software to do that it couldn't do. There were limitations. And so I started off on this journey to figure out if I could build it myself. Give me one example of that. Besides the PCLC that most people listening to this call might not know what it is or our internal language, but just in just basic terms, what was the maybe the one thing you started off wanting it to do that it didn't do? Yeah. So like we started looking at the data without getting too much in the PCLC and all that good stuff. We saw one of our big weaknesses was phones. Hmm. You know, we get all these phone calls. What happened to them? We didn't know. You know, we'd hear the, we'd hear the receptionist in the other room talking to everybody, but you know, was it a current client? Was it somebody who wanted to hire us? Hmm. Who knows? Maybe the receptionist hated us and just told everybody to go hire the competitor across the street. Yeah. But yeah, and Sam, I don't know. You know the number. <laughs> Let's talk about like what the set rate. Yeah, was. and I think after we started looking at the phones and like inspecting them, a couple cool things happened because we were able to make a scripting software where it would make sure that they're answering the same way every single time using the eleven-step mm. process, mm. and then adding mm. in qualification cool. logic too. So our agents were able to pre-qualify: are, is this person even able to hire the firm? So after looking at just those couple things, our set rate improved from about 40% to 80%. Hmm. Oh, I got to jump in <laughs> on this too, because Bert loves to say this. Okay. And it's true. You know, he said over 18 months, we had literally a increase of revenue of a million dollars. Wow. Which back then was crazy. That was probably about an 80% increase or something right. like that. Right, it was right. wild. Yeah. So that got us excited. Yeah. Well, so like <laughs> you would obviously think that it would, right? But- the uh, what's interesting to me is okay, so we had this software, but then we had these phones, and we didn't know how they all integrated together. So that was the one thing you were trying to integrate together. And I agree with you. That's the first way that I got into that relationship because I remember Bert coming to be all excited. I got something to tell you. I got yeah. something to tell you. And I'm like, what? All right, what do you want to talk about, brother? He's like, uh, he's like, I got these. Uh, your eleven steps. He goes, it's magic. He said, but the problem is I can't get everybody to do it all the time. He said, so. We've developed this software and I want to show you. And that's how we embarked on this journey together. And that's what got me the most excited. And so, yeah, I agree. I think that's right. I think the other thing I would say is they have a a lot of law firms have a hard time figuring the CRM stops and the matter management picks up and figure out how to make those bridges. That's a big challenge for some law firms as well. But all, all those are, again, technical challenges that sometimes can be solved and sometimes can't be solved. So as you're going on this journey, what was your biggest failure point as you're now building a software company and maybe the law firm, whichever one, which store you want to lean on more, but what was your biggest failure point? I'm sure you guys talked to a lot of lawyers. I'll lean on the tech side just because I'm sure it's somewhat analogous and hopefully interesting. Yeah, I would say our biggest issue was trying to do too much. You know, maybe a lot of law firms do that too, whether that's, you know, trying to handle the cases or, you know, I don't know, just talk to people too much or, you know, whatever, too much communication. But a lot of that stuff didn't really move the needle for us, right? Like we got a little bit more into coaching agents and stuff like that, but you can't really scale that without 
hiring a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. So I would say like that was the biggest problem is like we kept throwing stuff at people, but it was too much. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what was the other side of that? Like little throwing less using tech? What fixed this? Yeah. So, you know, these guys are busy, right? So it really was focusing on the things that were going to make the most difference. So when you say that, sorry, I want to be clear. On the software side, what you're what you're saying your biggest learning curve was as you were talking to your clients' law firms and your own law firm, and you were testing everything in, in Diener Law and then bringing it over to everybody else. And so you were finding that what you were, the data points and the moving parts you were giving them was overwhelming to them and it was trying to do too much at one time. Is that what you were finding? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. Okay, that makes more sense. Sam, did you find that to be true on the front lines of customer service when you were talking to clients? Absolutely. I think talking to clients, they have this long wish list of projects and things that they want to build and do. And like, I would love to do this or this. And we used to joke about it. And I think it's become reality. But we used to be like, is it going to make you more money? And I think it started off as a joke. But we now ask too, like, is this going to help make the process more efficient? Is it going to make staff better? And finding if the answer is no to those, I don't know if it's worth prioritizing resources over. Interesting. So, you know, we're having a dual conversation here, interesting enough. We're having a conversation about the software company and the lessons that it was too much to give to your clients. But also we're talking simultaneously about the law firm that was a backbone of all this that got, that was the beta tester for this. So is it fair to say, Rusty and Sam, that, you know, you were also giving DLO too much to do once to- and not being able to focus really hurt the ability to grow there as well? Oh, for sure. And, you know, as you guys probably know, as you grow, management becomes a big problem, right? right? Like you have to manage all this stuff. So you might give them, you know, hey, do this, do this, do this. They might retain, you know, one out of five of those things and actually do it. Mm. And, you know, even as the firm owner, even when I come up with this stuff, they might not do 80% of it. And then I have to sit here and go back and look. And then, you know, a month later, I get mad that they didn't do it. But, you know, it wasn't really their fault, right? Like I wasn't making sure they were doing it. And apparently it didn't matter that much. Okay. So question, let's pivot off of the failure point and onto the number one breakthrough, right? So the number one breakthrough was this idea that I'm summarizing. I shouldn't put that in your mouth. Do you think the number one breakthrough was simplifying or is there something else that you learned was your number one breakthrough? So definitely in some ways for the law firms, right? Like it was definitely simplifying. The other big piece of that was, you know what I'm going to go with definitely was simplifying, right? Let's focus on, and I know this is kind of a dirty word, but the sales process, Mm -hmm. right? Like let's focus on these big things that, A lot of these law firms, sometimes they're kind of struggling. I'm not going to say struggling, but, you know, revenues and expenses are kind of balancing out at the end of every month. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing that we could do to keep them happy and to keep them in our realm is to give them a quick win, give them quick, you know, revenue coming in. Mm -hmm. So to do that, yeah, we focused on phones, we focused on phone sales. And then from there, we pivoted into more and more. Mm -hmm. But staying there, I think, was the biggest piece that, you know, gave our clients. Interesting. So Sam, do you agree as you were talking to your clients and starting to find ways to get them a win that paying attention to that sales process, using software to enhance the sales process, measure the sales process, focus on the sales process, 
is really where you started to see the biggest wins? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Once you started focusing on that and like what the bottleneck was in that process and then really pinpointing that, then it made all the difference for a lot of law firms. Okay. So secret question, well, not secret question, but question here that's going to reveal maybe the truth about what you believe. What did law firms actually want to do? We joke about this around the office too. It's like, a, you know, those romantic novels that you get. If it was an attorney, it would be all about workflow, right? <laughs> like I want to manage a case without having to touch it. Right. Which, you know, if you try hard enough, you might get pretty close, but you're going to have to try really, really hard. Right. And probably if you're not getting client, then it doesn't matter. Right. Like, you know, you can be as efficient as you want and still not make a buck. But yeah, people love that. So if you kind of try to keep them in a box too much, they still go over there. Interesting. So Sam, did you find that to be true? As you were starting to work with the attorneys and trying to drive them towards sales, they kept trying to pull you back towards workflow. That's what they wanted. Yeah. It's funny how everyone that you kind of get to know their personalities after a while and people love to talk about certain things and you try to steer them and then they're like, no, well, I don't want to talk about that. Let's focus on this. Like everyone has their kind of like things are subject that they want to talk about and that's not necessarily what they need to be looking at. Do you think it's a fair statement that those attorneys that are willing to or get fired up about sales and selling seem to outstrip the ones who want to focus on workflow and the way of success? If we're measuring success, is it profitability? As much as I hate to say it, yes. And not because I hate to say it, but just because a lot of people might not want to hear it. Right. But yeah, if you focus on the sales, you got a lot more money to do a lot of different things, right? But if you're not there, you know, you can't really do a lot. Mm. And so, yeah, those guys who are in it, these are the guys that want to grow, you know, your entrepreneurial attorneys. And so those guys are all about it. And those are definitely our best clients or most successful clients. Dean Law is one of them, right? Sure. Well, I mean, look, and Bert has shared this story. Dean Law's story was that he really didn't make any profit. He matter of fact, lost money, even though he was doing million plus dollars a year in the beginning. And then he found us and then he started honing his systems and figured out a way to get profitable through our guidance and his action. And then obviously leveraged that into starting to figure out how to leverage it more through software. And here we are in this journey together. But you know, a lot of law firms in the beginning, especially when they come into our world or your world, they're not as profitable. Heck, I was talking to a law firm the other day, was doing $7 million a year and I'm like, what problem do you want to solve? And he's like, well, I'd like to actually make some profit. And I go, wait, hang on a second, what? And he, I, how much, what are you keeping to the bottom line? You know, 7 million, you should be keeping, you know, 2.4, 2.5. And he goes, I didn't make anything last year. And so like, this is not an unusual situation in a law firm because they're either they got bad advice or they're focusing on the wrong things or whatever. So you know, when you help simplify and let them focus on the things that actually make them money and help them be profitable, that's a big step in the right direction. So let's talk about, how about you guys? You know, so when you think about what keeps you going, because obviously you've got a wave in front of you, you got to fight through the wave of the law firms that want to focus on things you don't want them to focus on. You got to fight through the wave of, you know, all the things with software and everything that you do, you know, and their employees and all that stuff. There's a lot of things coming at you. What is the success quote or thought that keeps you going that motivates you every day, Rusty? Uh, I don't know if I'd say this motivates me, but it is kind of my guiding principle. And you know what? It motivates me. I'm not going to say it doesn't. There's something they call Pearson's Law, whether or not it's actually a law or not. A guy named Carl Pearson said it. And it's when performance is measured, performance improves. Mm. And then... When performance is measured and reported back, 
the rate of that improvement accelerates. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about sales processes, we talk about calls, we talk about any of this stuff, it's we have to find out how things are working. We have to get the data that we need. Yeah. So by the way, to address the elephant in the room, this idea that we can't ignore workflow because if you sell a whole bunch of new clients, you got to get the work done. And so that quote that you just gave, some version of when the performance is measured, performance improves, and when it's reported back, it improves exponentially. So some version of that. This idea is true in workflow as well. Like it's not just limited to sales and selling and appointment setting and lead generation and marketing and all that. Do you see that to be true as well, Sam, when you're hearing from your clients as you're talking to them, that they find that when they apply these principles over to the workflow side, surprisingly, their workflow improves as well? Yes. I mean, I think it just comes to like data efficiency and results and Mm. then making decisions using that data. And I've worked for a software company for four years and I still don't know if it's data or data. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I guess it depends on whether you're in Europe or America, <laughs> I guess, I suppose. Good. So let's talk about personal success habits because you guys have to stay on the ball. You've got to keep your energy up. You've got to stay disciplined, not only adhering to your schedule and everything. I'll, let's start with you this time, Sam. What's one of your personal success habits that keep you going every day? Oh, <laughs> okay. I think making a list and trying to plan, and it's definitely something I've learned since being in this job, is I was doing a lot of things by instinct and intuition, and trying to plan my week and my day has Mm -hmm. really helped, especially when you're talking to 7 to 13 different law firms on a daily basis. Yeah, great. That's great. I love it. Rusty, how about you? What is a success habit for you that has contributed to your success? Yeah, I'd say I was in the same boat. And this goes back to, you know, when I first started working with Bert High School mm-hmm. with intuition and just kind of, you know, taking whatever the big thing was at the moment and running with it. But I actually read a book. It was called Getting Things Done by David Allen. It's mm-hmm. kind of older now. but Yeah, it's a great you know, book. Back then it was cool, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that definitely changed how I approached work and kind of life in general, right? You know, I got all this stuff coming at me. I have to figure out what's important, what's not. So I have to constantly think about this, you know, what's important, what's not, what may be important. And then, you know, kind of putting it in different buckets and saying, okay, I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to do this tomorrow. Or, hey, maybe it'll be nice one day to do that. So you're you're running that Eisenhower box constantly with all your tasks is what you're doing. Is that right? Exactly. And I'm trying to remember what it is. Urgent, um, important, but not urgent, I think, is where I try to stay, right? Yeah. (laughs) If possible. That's great. I love it. Good. Okay, how about a book? What you so I, you told me one book is that like your go-to book, or do you have another one that you that like supports this whole concept that you work? Because I can hear. By the way, there's a theme, right? There's a yeah. there's numbers, there's measurement, there's data, there's lists, there's checklists. I mean, th- by the way, we just freaked like half of the audience out. They're like, wait, I like English and words, and I don't like math, and I don't love checklists, and so, you know that's not how they think. And then there's other attorneys that are listening that are like geeking out. They're like, oh yeah, these are my people. And so, you know, whatever, hopefully it helps somebody. But what is a goal that speaks to this for you? Or sorry, what is a book that speaks to this for you? Yeah, I would say I kind of sympathize with the guys who can't listen to math. I mean, I would sit in math class, just stare at the wall, and I do this stuff every day. But yeah, there is a book, and you just said goal. It's called The Goal. Oh, okay, Um, cool. All right, got it. (laughs) Yeah. It's by a guy named Eli Goldrad. It's like, I'm not going to butcher his first name, but Eli Goldrat. we're going to go with that. Yeah. And it's about this interesting thing. It's going to nerd out a little bit, sorry, called constraint theory, right? Like there is something in your business that's slowing everything down. And if you can find 
And also there's a lot of other things that you could focus on, but it's that, and you know, same thing, that one thing that if we made this a little bit bigger, everything else would go through mm-hmm. faster. Mm-hmm. And so what that book does, it, it's a business parable. It's a story. So it yeah, that's what I love about it. It's a story. <laughs> they took this massive concept of constraint yeah. theory and they turned it into a story. I thought it was great. It is great. And uh, yeah, so I would say that is really what we focus on. And I think about that thing all the time, like pretty much every day I think about something else. I don't, there's a story in there where they talk about, I'm not going to get too crazy into it, but like a backpack trip. I tell yeah. that story all the time, like oh, probably yeah. once a week. To That's somebody. when he was with the scouts or whatever, with his kids. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's and it's like, story. hey, this is how we speed up this whole process. Yeah. You know, efficiency. I'm a nerd. Yeah, no, it was perfect. I love it. it well, it, it speaks to every process in the firm from marketing, lead generation and sales all the way through the workflow. But Sam, how about you? Are you, st- are you a Eli gold rat nerd like Rusty or do you have another book that? you know, is your favorite. No, Rich, just to get this job, I think I had a list of books to read before I even started. (laughs) So yeah, one of them, definitely the goal, but also Expert Secrets I read, which I was coming into this job and I think it taught me so much about startups and everything that I really- Expert Secrets, was that Brandon Burchard? Who was Expert Secrets? Russell Brunson. Remember, we'll find it for him and put him in the notes for them. Expert Secrets. So you, that's, and just- about the whole idea and the concept of building into a startup business and the startup mentality. Is that right? Yes, definitely. Awesome. So, okay. So great. I love it. I love where we are. What has you most fired up today? Like, okay, the company, we, we know the, the law firm is growing. It wants to add all these offices by 2030. And that's your primary, that's the mothership that started this whole thing. And then you've got all these clients and that's great. But as a business, what are you guys fired up for? What is your, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal, your BHAG? What's something you're looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, two different ways. Personally, I just love solving business problems. So, you know, it's kind of like a puzzle almost, right? right? Higher stakes, obviously, for both clients and, you know, monetary value for the firm owners and everybody that works there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I feel like that's important, but we also get cool project out of it. So one of the cooler ones, and everybody's heard about this by now, I'm sure, or maybe not everyone, but the chat GPT, right. open AI kind of thing is something we started looking at recently, working with somebody who's doing it for you know legal document processing for mm-hmm. contracts. So kind of going into that workflow world a little bit. Yeah. Well, these guys are high volume, so you can kind of do that. Right. Definitely workflow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of, that's something we're heavily testing in Diener Law right now, trying well, to figure sure, out the best way to are, track it. Well, sure, because right now you're throwing humans at it, right? It's and you're growing so darn fast. I mean, I think you guys had... 860 appointments last week or something like that. I mean, that's a big yeah. number, right? So, you know, if you're running that many appointments, that's the theoretic, you know, I'm boiling it all the way down to how many of those show, how many of those retain, ended up with, you know, some four, five, 600 clients a month. So that's, right. you know, six, 7,000 clients a year. That's a lot of humans. Uh, it's like, I don't mean clients, I mean, it's a lot of humans to do all that lifting. It feels like you're building the pyramids and just getting a bunch of people to lift the big rocks. I mean, that's one way to do it. The other way is to figure out how to leverage technology, right? So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hand in hand with that, and this is, I was doing this this morning. I have a morning meeting every day reporting, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about data, we talk about all this stuff. But yeah, whenever we look at anything, we say, okay, how can we report on it? How can we make sure that we know how well it's doing? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're now using, and again, this none of this is new, but... Using big data platforms, we're leveraging some of those visualization platforms that everyone's heard of mm. uh, to really put that stuff together where our managers in the firm 
can look at that. And so building that middle management structure, I think has been one of the more transformative things. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, especially when you have so many people working in the firm, it's like, I don't know, a couple hundred now, Sam might know. Uh, Then you have to know who's doing yeah, yeah. It's screens on the ceiling, on the, you know, hanging from the ceiling or data on your watch that you can look at, okay, your department is on track to hit their goals this hour, right? I mean, that's when you get that big, that's what happens. Now, not every firm of every size needs to do that, but some version of it, whether they do it every week or every month or whatever, based on their the size of their firm, the more they pay attention to this and the easier you can make it for them to see, the better. How about you, Sam? What are you excited about? You, know, you don't own the firm, but you've certainly, you've got incentive. I know that because I know the way that the firm is built. You have incentive for the firm to grow. And so inside of that growth concept, what are you excited about? Yeah, I think helping people. And as cheesy as that sounds, like I really feel like what we're doing is making a difference. So if I can help with marketing or with sales or reaching out to more people to help them, I think it makes it worth it for me. However, I I don't think it's cheesy at all. At all, I think that I know you well enough to know that you're sincere in that answer. Because some people might go, "Oh my gosh, here she goes." No, but I mean, I think that's a really good answer. And you, you've heard me say this before that I think that law firms really do God's work because the way that they help people. You know, there's not a law firm on the planet that really doesn't help people in some traumatic, dramatic situation. And when they fix it, it really has a massive impact on that individual's life. And so. The more you can help other law firms accomplish those goals, the more people theoretically through osmosis that you're able to help right around the world. So I think it's a great goal. And I look at the same way, you know, as you well know, as of today, I think I've hired 20 people this month for our staffing company. And we just know that if we get that right and we can put appointment setters in people's law firms and do a better job of setting the appointment, getting more leads to convert over to clients, so on and so forth that we fundamentally are helping more people. So I too feel like I live vicariously through them, through the things that we do. So I'm with you, Sam. I'm 100% with you. Let's ask this, Rusty. If you go back and give some advice to your younger self, what would it be? We shouldn't have any regrets, but what kind of advice should we give? Yeah, I was actually at a conference once and there's a guy named Tony Shea. He was the CEO of Zappos. Unfortunately, he passed. I just read an article about him in Forbes this month, how he also went a little crazy in between when he was trying to go to, where was it? He was trying to go to another city and make it like he was trying to do Vegas and turn it into like this little city. Interesting. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to derail you, but you and you heard what he say? Yeah, he actually got into the Vegas City thing when we were up there too. But at least when it came to business, he did say he wouldn't do anything different necessarily. He would just do it faster. Ah. And there are definitely things I might do differently now. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that slowed me down and probably slows a lot of people down is that kind of fear of failure Mm. and treating... Failure might not be the right word, but not getting exactly what you expect, You know, putting a lot of time and effort into something and not getting anything out of it. Is something I think I struggled with, but again, I'm going into a bunch of people I've heard talk. Another guy I know named Keith Cunningham, he once said, he said this when I was on, when he was on stage as well, making mistakes is inevitable. Admitting them and learning the lesson is optional. Mm. So that's really what I try to do these days is, you know, if something doesn't work, how I think it should work, kind of really analyze it and figure out why. Mm. And strangely enough, that's personal as well, right? Like my wife, you know, gets mad at me. I'll be like, but why? And I could sit in my room and just stare at the desk. If you figure the answer to that question out, you're going to be a very, very wealthy man. Still working on it. Yeah, yeah. Nobody. Yeah. And you're going to have a happy life. Sorry. 
Sorry, Maria, if you're listening to this, I have figured it out. I do my best. You are amazing. You have no flaws whatsoever. Sorry. That's my message to you. Yes. So Sam, how about you? What, what advice would you give to your younger self if you could? I think if something isn't working, change it. <laughs> and I think uh, that's like for my personal life as well as in career as well. If it's something isn't working with a person or a job or a system in that job or something like that, change it. Don't just sit with it. Yeah. Don't just let it keep being broken, yes. right? Let's address the problem. Let's fix it. I love it. Good. How about a hack, a biohack or a tech hack that you think, Rusty, you would give advice to those law firms that are listening? If you can give them one thing you think they should really, what, what advice would you give them? So there's so much you can do, right? I will say if you're not tracking kind of your sales processes or even handling your case management in a technology-oriented way, maybe is how I'd put it. So usually we talk about these things called CRMs, practice management systems. I can name names. If you want me to, I'll name them. It doesn't really matter which one it is, as long as it works. But the big thing when people are picking these out, so let's say these are, I said I was going to say like a Clio, a Practice Panther, my case, you know, you guys probably know these words. Sure. <laughs> they have to have something called an, it needs to be cloud-based. So yeah. you don't want to store all this personal identifying information yourself. You know, there's a lot of liability there. I'm not going to say a lot. You guys are lawyers, you know. But there's liability there and also a cost. You don't have a server in a closet. You need somebody to hang on to that, manage it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't do that. Get one of these cloud-based ones like the couple I mentioned. But also... When you start getting deep into technology, you're going to want something that you can really use, really change, really mold it to what you need to do. And so you want to make sure it has something called an API. If you ever Google which system you want to do, Google that and API and make sure you get good results. And the reason is that you can use things like Zapier for those people who want to do that for low cost, do it yourself stuff. can definitely do that. But it's for things like, I want my phone calls to go into my CRM. You know, that's something you do pretty easily if mm. they have an API. Mm. They don't. You're going to have to start entering that stuff manually. You're going to start hiring people to do it. So, yeah, and that is the big star for most of these firms, getting that sales process locked in and being able to measure it. You can't do it unless you're entering the information in some kind of system. Love it. Make sure your software has an API and it's a SaaS-based system. That's a great hack. How about you, Sam? Anything that you hear throughout all the clients you talk to, that one little addition or piece of software, something that you use personally that's a great little biohack you can give advice for? Yeah, I would say in a more general sense, don't just buy software just to have it. Like you have to actually use it and you have to know how to use it. And then like, you know, that's spitting out numbers at you or reports or whatever, knowing how to read those too. Because I feel like so many firms that I talk to and me personally, like, oh, I have this cool, fancy new software and they're not using it or learning from it either. Yeah, great. So it, don't just buy it to buy it because somebody says you should have it. If you're going to invest in it, invest not only your money, but your time to learn it and put it in play and figure out how it really works at its optimum in your firm. Okay, so just really quick for a short little commercial for the benefit of you. You guys are, as I understand it, software agnostic. So what do you do for firms? If they, if they wanted to get a hold of you, what is it that you actually provide to the, as a service? Yeah. So I'd say the big thing is, like we talked about, everybody has big dreams, big ideas of things they want to do. We implement those, right? So we're technology, we write software, 
if you want your phone system to put phone calls into your CRM, we'd help you do that. And, you know, there's a lot more that we do. You heard me talking about the other things that we're working on right now. But yeah, come talk to us. You ask us, hey, this is something I want to do. And we'll tell you whether or not it's worth it. You know, we talk about, hey, this is going to move the needle. Do you think this is going to move the needle? Is it worth that time, that energy? Sam was talking about the different software that you're going to use. Mm. And, you know, the investment, the monetary investment to make that happen. Mm. So, you know, we get people, current clients still all the time, just say, hey, can I, you know, borrow you for five minutes when I go to your events, Rich? And they'll ask me something. I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe you do this, maybe you do this. We had this one client who did this thing and, (laughs) so uh, you know, get a lot of experience doing that. So, yeah, I mean, that's more or less it. We do this custom work, custom software shop, more or less for law firms and, you know, hopefully guide them in the right direction or that. Yeah. And it's more than just, Hey, you want to do this project? Okay. You can hire us to do it. What I heard there is Sam, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on the customer facing side of this, you guys are really advising as to, you know, maybe this isn't the best decision. And while I appreciate you wanting to hire us to do that for you, I think there might be another area you want to focus on. Is that an accurate statement? Oh yeah, for sure. We can do this, but if we do it, this is going to happen. Is a lot of what we say. So it's kind of, and we learned that through trial and error with working so closely with Dieter Law and with other firms that, yes, we can do it, but does that mean we should? (laughs) Yeah, you can do almost anything, right? Like, that's the exciting part about it. But, you know. Yeah, should you actually do it? Well, hey, Sam and Rusty, this was a great call today. I really enjoyed the fact that we got to unpack a little bit about what Four Eyes is all about and your learning experiences and your tips about books and your leadership concepts, but most importantly, some of the things that they should think about or avoid as they're going down their path of growing their law firm or figuring out how to get more business in the door. Let's focus on sales, not workflow. So thanks for sharing your time today. I know everybody's busy. Rusty, appreciate you. Sam, appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having us again, Rich. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sure we will again here soon. For sure. We'll keep going with this stuff. All right. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. That wraps up another episode of Your Practice Mastered Pod. And I'm sure your favorite guest, MPS, or host, sorry, will be back soon. And you'll get to enjoy both his wonderful, silky smooth voice and pretty face. And you didn't have to stare at this the whole time if you're watching it on YouTube. Hey, make it a great day. Go out there and sell something, would you? All right.